Hi listeners, Jason here. Joelle and I are excited to be co-chairing the upcoming conference by the Australian Institute of Health and Safety and the Hatchery, running virtually on December 1 and 2. The Improving Integrated Approaches to Workplace Mental Health Conference will feature industry experts as they showcase new approaches for managing psychological risk and share insights to improve workplace wellbeing. About half the presenters are previous guests of the Psych Health and Safety Podcast, so you know they're good people. Also, our next live panel with a focus on psych health and safety in the construction industry will be held on November 30. For more information about these events and how to register, you can find the link in the show notes. Now, if you're a regular listener of the podcast, how about leaving a five-star review? This helps us to get found by other podcast listeners and enables us to better spread the message of systemic approaches to workplace mental health. Thank you if you've already done this. That's it for news and updates. Now, on to this episode. From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion. Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Mentally Healthy Workplaces Asia Podcast. My name is Wenli Lim, and I'm the Chief Impact Officer at Flourish DX and host of this podcast. The purpose of this is for conversations and practical guidance from experts, service providers, innovative tech platforms, and employers in the region. So we believe in taking a shared responsibility to workplace mental health. Um, so it's not just on the individuals and the employees, but um, everyone as we're colleagues and the broader community to help create mentally healthy workplaces. And really the goal is to prevent suffering and promote human flourishing. So given that we are in the region and also, you know, um, Asia is very much part of Asia Pacific, uh, we have someone from Australia joining us today and my colleague, uh, Joelle Mitchell, Head of Psych Health and Safety and Organisational Psychologist. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Wen. Thanks for having me. Um, you're welcome. It's more that I'm really thankful to have you on the podcast. And uh, we had a great conversation coming into this. Um, and there's so many things I really want to unpack. Um, I guess maybe many of us don't have, you know, friends who are psychologists or work in a place that we have access. So I think this podcast today is really to, you know, kind of um, start with baby steps and kind of talk about um, really how do we start approaching mental health at work and lowering the barriers to entry that people don't feel overwhelmed. Uh, so that's kind of what we're going to cover today. So really, really happy to help uh, to have you on board. Um, so can you tell us a bit about yourself um, and your journey in your um, career? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I uh, started out studying psychology um, out of high school and, you, you know, you go into psychology typically thinking that you're going to be, um, you know, doing some sort of therapy as your career. Um, and I got to the end of my psychology degree and realised that um, clinical and counselling psychology really wasn't for me. Um, but I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do after that. Um, and then I managed to get myself a job doing document control um, with a, um, an engineering and construction um, sort of an EPCM. Um, which was uh, not what I expected to be doing uh, following graduation <laughs> from a psychology undergraduate degree, but there I was. Um, and I sort of worked in a few different roles in that company and ended up um, joining the safety team in, as a sort of behavioural safety advisor. Um, and at that point, I realised that, um, you know, organisations are actually really interesting and um, the way that groups behave in organisations and sort of power structures and, and um, you know, political um, 
elements of organisations all, you know, all interact in really interesting mm. ways. Um, and so that sort of led me then to do a master's in organisational psychology. And so I did that um, part time while I was also working. Um, so I was there for about five years um, and then I moved to a consulting company, which was uh, all all psychologists. Um, so that was... That would have been interesting. Yeah. Psychologists no. are, are an interesting group of people to work with, as, as you're discovering when. Um, <laughs> I know. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, if, if listeners don't have, have friends or colleagues who are psychologists, um, you know, go out and find one because we're, uh, we're, we're lots of fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But we're, we're a bit odd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, no, it's true. An odd in a nice way. I, I enjoy quirky sense of humor. So in that sense, I do enjoy working with you guys and not because I have to say it, um, but I truly mean that. Uh-huh. Sure, sure you do, Wen. <laughs> and I love sarcasm um, too. That's your specialty. That is my specialty. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that, that's my, um, my standard uh, mode of operation. Um, so where was I? Consulting. Yeah. So consulting, mm. um, with a, with a small psychology firm and we were doing a lot of um, work in regional Australia with mining companies um, and that was sort of frontline supervisor support, really training supervisors in how to have conversations with their teams about safety primarily. Um, and then from there, so I was there for a couple of years and then I joined the regulator for the offshore petroleum industry as a human factors specialist. And I was with them for nine years um, and I did lots of lots of different things there. Um, and I guess in the last couple of years that I was there, um, the industry was, I guess, mental health in the industry was becoming um, more of an issue um, due to a number of sort of macro reasons, you know, um, economics associated with the oil price being one of them, um, workforce availability and that sort of thing. And then obviously the pandemic um, on top of that. So, um, my focus in the last couple of years there did um, shift quite heavily to look at mental health in the offshore petroleum industry and sort of um, focusing on what um, employers in that industry could do to better support their offshore workforce. Uh, And then I joined People Diagnostics in February of this year um, and just in a completely different industry now. So lots lots to learn and um, lots to do, but it's been fun so far. Oh, great. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's then bringing all of that knowledge, right, and then scaling it through a technology platform, which is really exciting. Um, we're definitely going to touch on the conversations part that you mentioned before, um, but maybe can I just start just in terms of what you're seeing globally? I know you've, you have a lot of conversations with um, potential clients and clients around the world. What are you observing, especially, I know we keep going back to the pandemic, but, you know, it's a reality. Um, what are you observing that are kind of trends, uh, whether they're, you know, good trends or, you know, not great trends uh, in terms of mental health in the workplace? Look, I think that it's it's something that um, organisations are becoming more, um, aware of definitely it's um, you know in Australia there's a big shift from sort of regulators and um, legislators um, to sort of push companies to consider psychological health of their workforce from an occupational health and safety lens um, so that's definitely um, happening in Australia and also in the UK um, other countries to varying degrees um, you know, sort of right across the spectrum from it not being a, 
an occupational health and safety issue at all, sort of right through to probably where we are in Australia. Um, and so I think globally, you know, there's organisations are sitting right across that spectrum as well from, you know, thinking about it as well, it, you know, it's, it's an individual health problem and how can we better support our employees who are experiencing mental illness, mm. um, you know, right through to companies who want to um, embed psychological health and safety within their um, occupational health and safety management systems, within their business systems and strategic priorities, um, you know, feeding it into their ESG, all of those types of things. So it really does sort of go the full spectrum from that you know, supporting yeah. people who are ill right through to this is the way that we do business from a, you know, from a work design perspective and from a, um, a corporate responsibility perspective. Yeah. And I think that's why I also really wanted to feature like, you know, um, Australian uh, experts because Australia is leading the way and what better way to learn, you know, to see the best approaches and then kind of share it around because otherwise, I mean, if you're not involved in the industry or you're not in Australia, you probably don't know a lot of these things. Um, so yeah, today's all about sharing knowledge. And one of the things is around um, conversations. So, you know, when I started this job, um, a couple of months ago. And um, when I told my friends about it, you know, they were like, man, this is amazing because, you know, they're managers or partners at accounting firms, you know, in different places. And everyone, a lot of them have had someone in their team. Um, yeah. Um, be meant, um, you know, got diagnosed with a mental illness or were really languishing. And a lot of people, you know, they have the heart and they want to have a discussion and help. But it's one of those things as well as that they don't know what to say or what to do um, to be supportive. And it's kind of like walking on eggshells. So one of the first things I really want is to like, you know, demystify or even like just give practical, you know, ask for practical tips on is how can managers or, you know, even as colleagues navigate these conversations when someone is not doing well mentally um, at work? Yeah, so I guess there's a few different elements there. Um, and the first one would be um, for people who I guess you've you've noticed changes in their behaviour, um, changes in their mood, um, and, you know, how do you approach that versus somebody who's potentially had some time off or you know that they've been diagnosed. So those are, you know, those are quite different conversations to have. Um, so, and, you know, it... it there's there's so many different variables that that feed into mm. that. You know, it depends on your on your relationship with that person as well. Um, but I think that you know a good a good entry is to um, you know in a in a private setting, you know, in a in a meeting room or um, you know let's go and get a coffee or something like that, um, and then just take gentle steps into the conversation. So look, I noticed that you've um, you know you've seemed a bit down lately, or you haven't been yourself. You know, is everything okay? Um, that's that's generally a pretty easy starting point that that most people can do. Here's what I've noticed. Um, you know, I care about you. Um, you know, would you like to to talk about it? Um, and it may be that people aren't ready to talk about it. It may be that they don't want to talk about it. Um, and so from there, yeah, it really it depends on their response. But I think it's a matter of letting them know that yeah, I'm here if you do want to talk to me about this. Um, and then potentially being aware of other um, other supports that are available for people as well. So, you know, yes, you can talk to me or if you weren't aware, um, you know, these are various other 
um, other avenues that you can pursue if you do need assistance or support. Yeah. And um, I know return to work is the other side where someone has um, taken time off um, because of a mental um, yeah, illness or just, you know, a bad patch where they really can't um, come to work and, you know, they're seeing a doctor and seeing medical professionals. Um, maybe can you just share a couple quick tips on how do you do that as well? You know, when somebody comes back uh, to work, um, how can you navigate those conversations? Yeah, so I think that this is really um, your, your line managers in, in this situation have a really critical role to play. Um, so I think that it's about, you know, having good communication um, with that employee's um, healthcare team, I suppose, um, having, you know, really good instruction from their, um, their treatment provider about what is reasonable um, for them to be able to do in the workplace, but then also then having a conversation with the employee themselves, you know, what do you need from me so that you can, you can be successful and, you know, what, um, what's reasonable and what's not, um, and probably just, you know, making sure that you're scheduling um, time for regular catch-ups with them to actually, you know, see how they're going um, and making, I guess, micro adjustments or possibly really big adjustments depending mm. on how, how they're responding to being back at work because for some people, you know, work um, can be a very protective factor for mental health. Um, so actually, you know, for some people by actually coming back to work, that can actually help to speed up their recovery. Um, whereas for other people, I guess, if work is the source of the illness. Yeah, the cause, yeah. Um, yeah, then or there's, there's work factors that have contributed or, or caused it to escalate, then that's a different situation and that's more about monitoring, you know, how are you, how are you going in these areas and, um, it, yeah, I guess there's, there's looking at um, different ways to, um, to protect them from those aspects of work that might be harmful for them. Mm, yeah, thank you for but that. But I think that it is, yeah, um, that, yeah it's, it's, it's really about maintaining the, um, the open dialogue and making sure that you are just touching in regularly with them, um, touching base and, you know, um, monitoring um, how they're progressing and being open to making those adjustments. Mm. I think one of the hard things at the moment is um, everyone's, I mean, a lot of places we're also remote working. And so you don't really have that interaction where you can even observe someone, um, you know, your interaction is really limited to, um, you know, Zoom calls with clients or, you know, um, so then it's, it is harder to spot. Um, but I, I guess that's where intentionality and even like, I think something I picked up, you said was about scheduling it. Um, so as line managers and uh, employers, it being really intentional to you know, uh, touch base, um, just check in how people are doing. And then likewise, if someone is returning to work um, from a period of being away, then it's that same intentionality. Um, just to um, keep that open communication. I think the hard thing is that everyone's just busy, you know, kind of like doing the work and you kind of forget you're, you're in this little vortex of just getting the job done. Uh, in your study room or, you know, in the bedroom or, you know, on the dining table. And that's really, really hard in this kind of still COVID environment where not everyone is going back to the workplace. So that's even more difficult, I guess, and even more kind of challenging and having to be more intentional. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you're right, when you're only interacting with people sort of in, um, in virtual meetings, um, it can be a lot more difficult to um, pick up on those behavioural changes and, and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it is, I think, 
important also to schedule informal time with people. Um, so it's maybe, yeah, we're having a, you know, a virtual afternoon tea, yep. you know, and everybody, everybody comes along with, with their coffee and it's just a chance to have a bit of, of chat and banter mm-hmm. over the group talk rather than having a meeting um, yep. so that you're still actually having that, I guess, that collegial um, work environment that people might be used to um, when they're in physical proximity to each other. So, it, you know, it's not the same, but it's an approximation. Yeah, the water cooler kind of discussions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So other kind of really good practices that, you know, I've observed uh, when I was working in Australia is access to things like EAP, which is, you know, employee assistance programs. And even um, I think what's been really popular in the last couple of years is uh, mental health first aid. Um, and I, for, for my friends here and people I've been speaking over here in Singapore, uh, a lot of them haven't heard. I mean, a lot of organizations don't have access to an EAP still. And fair enough, when you're really like small, medium kind of enterprise, um, of course, the larger MNCs will have them. So can you just explain, you know, what is EAP, the purpose of it? Um, and then also on mental health first aid. Sure. So an EAP is an employee assistance provider and it's essentially um, a a psychology or counselling service that um, is made available to employees through the company. Um, So typically organisations will provide a set number of sessions um, for each employee um, and that might be, you know, over a 12-month period or it might be per issue that they have to deal with and it might be extended to their immediate family as well. It's basically just providing access to um, to psychological services for employees who need it. Um, it's, I think, it, it started out as um, as an employee benefit, um, and I think that that's that's still really where it sits. Um, your EAP shouldn't be sort of taking the place of your injury management processes um, you know so if somebody for example is experiencing bullying at work the EAP isn't the place to send them for that so I think um, you know where a lot of organizations are at the moment is that I think they are using EAP as a as a response to um, psychological injury at work um, and that's that's really not where your EAP should be it really is an employee benefit where yet yeah, this is something that we're providing to you the same way that we would give you maybe a discounted gym membership because we know that it can be um, a positive thing for you to have access to that um, so yes an EAP is is a good thing to have but it I guess needs to be used appropriately um, and recognizing that it's not you know, it's not a rehabilitation provider. It's not a, an injury management provider. Um, so using it in its place. Um, and the same for mental health first aid. So I guess back um, back when I first started working, um, the company that I worked for then was implementing uh, what was called a peer support program. And I guess that was kind of the, um, the precursor to what's the mental health first aid now. Um, and it's really about upskilling a proportion of the workforce in, I guess, what, what I was talking about earlier, recognising the signs and symptoms, um, understanding how to initiate a conversation or how to respond if somebody approaches you to talk about something and then referring on. So it's about, you know, what are the resources that are available and how can I encourage people to um, take advantage of those resources? So you're not training people in how to be counsellors. Not at all. It's basic. It's it's more of a triaging type of a program. So, 
this person is is struggling and how can I help them to get the help that they need? Yeah. And it was, I, I saw that it's really popular with HR teams. So I used to sit in a HR team and a lot of the HR managers um, and the business unit would then go out and do this mental health first course. And then um, I, I think that would then place, you know, different people in different kind of floors or areas of the workplace where someone would be trained in that. And then yet again, is to navigate the conversations. I think we keep coming back to this is that open communication and conversations and how important that is. I think, um, a lot of times um, people aren't armed or aren't, um, and these things help them in terms of improving their own confidence to approach these topics and getting like, you know, education and some knowledge behind it to then allow them to have that. But thank you for um, really defining and um, explaining even where an EAP is uh, appropriate and not appropriate. Um, just like any tool or anything, you know, it can be used in the right context and that's where it's really helpful. But when it's used for the wrong context, it can actually cause a lot of harm. Um, and it's not actually helping at all. If anything, it will be making the situation worse. Yeah. And especially because EAPs do typically, um, you know, you've got limited session numbers and so if you've got a more complex psychological injury um, you know it's going to take a lot more typically than just four sessions with a um, with a counsellor to to be able to get get past that and it is you know when it's um, coming as a consequence of of work um, or work has contributed to that then there is a lot of complexity especially when it comes to you know, navigating the return to work. So you really do need a, um, a specialist provider to be able to do that. Yeah. And so going back to the conversations, um, one of the things I've noticed a lot here in Asia um, is that a lot of times uh, people are afraid to speak out what they really think in the workplace. Um, and so you have these keyboard warriors and side WhatsApp chats. Um, so for example, you go into a meeting and your manager or, you know, whoever it is um, said something and basically everyone disagrees, but no one dares to say anything. But immediately when you leave that meeting, everyone's gone to a WhatsApp group, side chat, you know, in, in, in like, normal times you'll go to the you know the pantry and have a debrief and discussion on what everybody thinks but never to the person um and we were just talking about this before and you said in psychology there's a there's a term for this which is um something distance power distance, power distance. that's right and so can you unpack what power distance is and also how can um what can we do uh, to kind of decrease that or, um, you know, be more open in communication, especially in this cultural context. And I think we're talking about that, that every kind of society and culture has a different uh, power distance. Yeah, so the, the concept of power distance has come out of um, the field of cross-cultural psychology. Um, and so that looks at, you know, different, I, I guess, at that sort of macro-cultural or, you know, national cultural level, what are what are the differences um or similarities, I suppose, and power distance is, is one of those. So, um, you know, in a lot of Asian cultures, um, power distance tends to be quite large, which means that um, I guess the, in, in terms of behavioural norms, so if somebody is in a position of formal authority, then it's expected that there is a fairly large amount of deference paid to that person. Um, and so that means that, um, what they say needs to be responded to respectfully, um, regardless of, of what you actually think about it. Um, whereas, for example, in places like Australia, 
um, we tend to have very low power distance. Um, and I was just giving you what I think is just a classic example of Australian behaviour. Um, many, many years ago, our um, then Prime Minister John Howard was campaigning um, during the election at the time. Um, and I saw on the news this clip of him um, doing some um, meet and greet at a construction site. And he uh, walked up to this tradesperson and um, held his hand out to shake this this guy's hand. Um, and the guy just looked him up and down and said, no, I'm not shaking your hand, mate. You're trying to take away my rights and turned his back and walked away on the Prime Minister of Australia. Um, so that's an example of low power distance. <laughs> yeah, very low power distance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I guess where where this becomes a problem in, in high power distance um, cultures is where you do need consultation and collaboration. Um, so it can actually be quite difficult as a leader to get your team to give you their honest opinions on things. Um, and especially where, you know, if you're leading a team of subject matter experts and you need them to actually tell you the truth and give you their, their opinion about things because it's important that you actually make the right decision and a decision that's informed by evidence and informed by experts, um, th that can be a challenge. Um, and so strategies that have been successful, um, you know, from a, from a safety perspective um, in these types of cultures is rather than saying, here's what I think as a leader, now let's discuss that, where you're almost putting the challenge out and saying, okay, go ahead and defy me. Um, not, not literally, obviously, but um, I, I tend to exaggerate um, to those listeners <laughs> who aren't familiar with me. Um, I do tend to sort of exaggerate examples to, to make the point. Um, so rather than putting, I guess, putting your opinion forward first for discussion, rather ask the group first. So this is the topic that we're talking about, or this is the problem that we need to solve. And then having the discussion around the table that potentially you facilitate that discussion by asking people to, to give their input um, and looking for, you know, um, challenges or, um, you know, sort of teasing apart the, the pros and cons of different ideas. Um, and then you as a leader, based on that, um, that discussion, you then sort of arrive at a decision about how to proceed. Um, so it's it's sort of a way of turning it on its on its head a little bit, um, so that you're not actually asking people to challenge your power or authority. You're you're putting it to them to actually um, do the problem solving first, and then as the leader, you're taking that that away from the um, yeah. from the discussion. That is so good. I think that's just very very um, practical, and it's something simple to do that any manager or any team leader can do without. Yeah, like um, overthinking on, you know, needing it to be designed or anything. It's just as simple as what, you know, this is the problem statement or this is what we want to talk about today and let's have you. And it also gives uh, opportunity for the participants or the people in the team um, to be affirmed. So then you can really, um, then really fostering a positive workplace, uh, then you can, you know, recognize that's a great idea. That's what I thought. And then it kind of builds that trust to then be able to speak up even more and hopefully reduce that. I think I do really love the Asian culture in terms of, you know, the respect for elders and all these things, but too much of something is also not a good thing. 
And that's where a lot of people in like in Singapore and other parts of Asia always say, you know, innovation, it's so difficult here or all these things. And I think some of it stems from issues like this and knowing, understanding a thing like uh, power distance. It's so, so helpful. Um, are there any other tips that you have in this area or, you know, even around just how can we just create better workplaces um, and what, you know, maybe in Australia or other um places of the world um i'm sure our listeners are always looking for practical tips that is easy to do um i think a lot of people feel so overwhelmed especially in light of all these articles and you know it's sometimes even on a daily basis about mental health um, whether in the workplace or outside work that they're like oh man this is like one giant problem and i don't know how to go about this um, so maybe one or two other tips that you would um yeah kind of recommend for listeners I guess the main tip is um, practice compassion, both both for yourself as a leader and for your team, you know. Um, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of the commentary around um, remote working during during the pandemic has really talked about this sort of that, that people are becoming more humanised, you know, because we're seeing into their homes, we're seeing, you know, their kids doing a nudie run behind them during a, during, you know, during a Zoom call yeah. or their cat's coming up and, um, you know, sticking its bottom at the camera, um, walking all over the keyboard, you know, all of those types of things that, yeah, we, we have lives um, and they do intersect with work. Um, and so I think that um, we're getting one of the benefits from the pandemic is that we are having more acceptance of, of people as multifaceted, you know, and that, our work life and our home life aren't segmented. You know, they do bleed into each other and they do influence each other. And I think that we're getting greater acceptance that that's the reality and the expectation that people compartmentalise is becoming less so, I think. And that's a positive. Um, so I think as leaders, yeah, having that compassion, um, remembering that the people in your team are human, um, you know, and the way that you have good days and bad days, so do they. Um, and it's okay for you as a leader to actually be flawed and to acknowledge that and to say, you know what, I'm having a really bad day today. Um, and by actually sharing that with your team, that also gives them permission to have bad days and to own the fact that they're having a bad day and to be okay with it. You know, so there's that, I guess, that aspect of leadership. Um, you know, and we, I guess there's all those stories about leaders who do come forward with their, their personal stories of, you know, of mental illness. Um, and that's great um, if you do, if you don't have your own story of mental illness as well, which is, um, you know, good for you if that's the case. Um, but, you know, yeah, we do all have bad days. And, and I think that it's, um, it's about letting people see that your, your whole self you know, that you as a leader, you're a human. It's okay to be human. Um, and so exercising that compassion for yourself and for your team. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's authenticity, but I think mm. a lot of people who are leaders feel that pressure of having to put up a front um, or, you know, just because they feel like if people in their team or around them see them crumble or not be in a good state, it's going to send ripples, right? Uh, the, the waves that everybody else is going to be like, oh no, you know, the boat's now rocking because my, you know, CEO, my managing director is not holding it together. So now we're, we're stuffed. 
And I think that's always the fear behind that is that what kind of box am I going to open if I am really going to be honest about how I'm, you know, traveling along. And so is there any kind of thoughts on that? Because I think that's the kind of the fear that they need to just present strong so that people can draw on their strength rather than they so they see it is more that I need to present and hold the ship together uh, for the sake of everyone else. Yeah, so I think that this is where um, if you're a micromanager, this is probably not the best strategy for you. Um, so I guess step one is step back from micromanaging and actually delegate to your team and let them have some autonomy um, and some accountability and responsibility and the more that you're able to do that then the more that you're able to when you are having a bit of a wobbly time you can actually lean on those team members because you've given them the capacity to show their capability and to show their strength and to build their capacity and now when you need to you can actually rely on them to step up and to help you through those processes so again it's that um that process of building trust within the team um, is about, yeah, recognising that your team are capable and competent people. If they're not, you shouldn't have hired them. Um, Fair so, point. you know, trust, trust that they can actually do the job that they were hired to do. Um, if they can't do the job that they were hired to do, then that's a, you know, a performance management process that you need to follow. Um, but, you know, let go a little bit, let them do what they were hired to do and then help them to develop and build their capabilities so that you can actually take, um, take advantage of the fact that you've got this wonderful team of competent, um, willing people who are able to sort of step in and, um, and step up when they need to. Yeah, that's so good. It's all about teamwork rather than, you know, the point man or the point, yeah, the point person who has to hold it together. Um, I think we do have a long way to go, but I love, so part of these um, kind of podcasts is I have to take um, little snippets, right? And then we put it on um, on our LinkedIn and all that and just share gems. I just feel like this whole conversation, there's so many snippets. I'm like, oh, that was a really good part. People would really like love that and just, it'd be really helpful. So thank you so much for sharing um, your insights. I really really want to have you back on again because um, there's so many like practical I think for me it's always how can we get this out to as many people as possible and empower them rather than always having to lean on experts or just be too scared to go there I think a lot of people do have the hearts to want to help people and that compassion but it's the kind of execution of it it's like I don't know what to do I don't want to put my foot in it um, and I think you have given really really great just practical tips that anyone can do uh, to help each other out in the workplace. So thank you so much for your time today. Really look forward to having you back on. Um, it's actually public holiday across here. So um, I hope that when this comes out, I mean, everyone today, you should be relaxing. Um, but and we're heading to the end of the year as well. So just wondering, do you have any year end plans? Um, and what is it like for the holidays in Australia? Um, I'll be taking a little bit of time off. Um, my dad lives in um, on a farm about uh, four hours away from from the city, so um, I'll be taking the family down there and sort of spending um, spending a few days down there. Um, he breeds labradoodles, so there's always loads of puppies as well, which oh. is uh, a great a great um, thing for improving your mood. Wow, do you have a labradoodle? I know I live in a, an apartment um, 
and our complex doesn't allow pets. So okay. no, I don't. But um, they're they're a lovely dog. Yeah. Oh wow! And they don't shed. That's the why people love them, right? It's like you get the Labrador, you get the Poodle, um, and no yeah, shedding. Yeah. T- um, mostly, yeah. So there's a there's an element of like making sure that you're breeding the right dogs, and there's sort of genetic analysis and stuff that they do. But um, yeah, overwhelmingly they don't shed, and um, there's the um, they're less likely to cause allergic reactions mm, to people yeah. who are typically allergic um so that's and they're very easy to train as well and they're just good natured and yeah well this is really so, good yeah, for your mental health nice yeah to get it out is, to the yeah, country um yep breathe breathe the fresh air um it's all um the sort of um the carry and marry forests as well so the tall timbers um the, the southern rainforest so it's really just really beautiful um really fresh crisp air and um, yeah, just you know, go and sit down and have puppies crawl all over you for for half an hour, and then see how you feel. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is okay. Seriously, that would be like the dream. I'm sure, like during this time, especially you know, puppy videos, kitten videos, they're like at an all time high, right? Because people just, I don't know, that's just something about them, and they're just like irresistibly cute. Um, and you get to do this in person and play with tons of puppies. My goodness, I'm yep. really, really jealous right now. <laughs> But anyway, they do have very scratchy little claws, though, so that's the only downside. Okay, so wear long sleeves and jeans. Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cover up. Um, okay, you know what? We're going to get you back so we can talk more about puppies. And um, for sure, why, why else? Why else would I come back? <laughs> well, thank you so much, Joel. It's been a pleasure having you. Um, so, for all our listeners, don't forget to subscribe to the Mentally Healthy Workplaces Asia podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, follow the podcast LinkedIn page to stay up to date with upcoming guests. Uh, you can also follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn if you'd like to see short clips of conversations from the podcast, and you'll find the video version of this podcast on the Flourish DX YouTube page. Um, and please connect with myself or um, Joelle on LinkedIn. Um, Joelle posts a lot, and so do I, just sharing you know tips and just um, we would love to engage on LinkedIn and we'll see you at the next podcast. Thank you and take care. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com.